Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Micah. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I but ask that without laughing because we always spend 10 minutes talking about how we're doing before we start recording. And, and then we're always like, how are you doing? I know. Um, it's like, how are you really? There's been a lot of fun things happening in the world of the league. Our workshop that we just finished recently was a great success. I think we mentioned it last time. You edited the entire interview with Trey Seals, which was a fan fave, I feel, because he's so fantastic. He was great. I feel like I have parts of the interview memorized at this point, but <laughs> I will not be reciting. But yeah, it was great. It was really exciting. Appreciate everyone that's kind of sent their feedback in about how much they enjoyed it and all the good feedback that we got. I really appreciate that. Especially since Trey's just like such an important figure. And when I said in the interview that I truly think he's influencing a whole new generation of designers, I truly meant it. Love it. And this week, shoot, we found a bunch of pretty good articles some of these we saved from last week because we didn't we didn't have the newsletter and so it was like oof, we got to make sure we share that and what's your topic this week for our nerd alert you're so good at reminding me because i'm i'm always just <laughs> here's the first article i'm ready and then just like hold on just take a moment we were talking about SVG fonts or color fonts, as some people call them. A whole new type of font file that has emerged in the past few years that I don't think gets discussed that much, even though mm -hmm. we're seeing a huge influx in SVG fonts. And I did some research, kind of figured out what they are, when you should use them, and the pros and cons of using them. So that'll be fun. I like that because I've kind of been keeping my eye on that category of the industry, and there's some really cool stuff out there that nobody seems to know about. So it's going to be fun to talk about it. I also think like no one really talks about when to use color fonts. Like I feel like they're getting released and launched and published and we see them every once in a while, but no one really discusses why we should be using color fonts or, or why we should be designing color fonts. And I think that I've tapped a little bit into that question. Good. Sounds healthy. Cool. First article, fun one, system fonts don't have to be ugly by Ian Bean. This is a fun one. This was written in response to an article that we shared a couple weeks ago about this new eco-friendly website by Forma Phantasma that used only Arial and Times New Roman as the type choices. And because of that, it cut down on a lot of energy use that is typically used by custom fonts on the web. Mm. So this article is pretty interesting. It talks about what system fonts are in the first place and kind of goes a little bit more into the nitty gritty of why they're more eco-friendly to use system fonts and system fonts being the fonts that are preloaded onto our machines, why it's more eco-friendly to use them on a web design page. And then it talks about some of the system fonts that they think should be considered when you're considering using system fonts and why they're great talks a little bit about Palatino and Charter and Georgia, gives some history about why they look so good on the web and why they're so versatile. Mm. And I barely ever see any people out there talking about why we should appreciate the fonts that we've already got. So, you know, I appreciate this article. 
Yeah, I really like this. Also, it's it's a beautifully visual article. Like it's not too much of a read and there's a lot of illustrations of what he's talking about. And I appreciate that. I personally am a huge fan of Georgia. We've used Georgia as one of the main fonts for the league for a long, long time. And I always forget about Charter. And Charter's a nice one. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. And I'm kind of surprised that it covers so many. It says it's on Windows, Mac, iOS, and Ubuntu, which I did not know all of that. And it's nice because they take a second to talk about San Francisco and, oh gosh, I'm going to butcher saying this out loud. I've only ever had to read it. Sego UI, the Windows system font. That sounds good to me. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. Somebody can correct us if that's, if that's awful, but it's nice because I know, especially with San Francisco, there, there has been a lot of effort put into making the fonts on the system good. And by doing that, a lot of people in the product and UI design segment of the industry have just like totally latched onto that and been like, I only use those fonts, mm. which is kind of interesting. See, what I loved about this article was the ending section. That was the criticism that I had of, of our initial article was like, hey, I get it. It's cool. Web fonts do take up a lot of energy, but then they use JavaScript on the page. And I guarantee the JavaScript is using up even more energy. And they were like, here's how much more energy JavaScript uses than web fonts. Yeah. So, and yeah. that criticism was in response to the website that Fort the Phantasma did that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, I was wondering if you were going to see that. I do appreciate <laughs> that. But this is great because, you know, system fonts are, it's almost like, did you see the the John Mayer clip? I think you did, right? Oh, yeah. I've seen it like six times. <laughs> yeah, I guess we talked about it yesterday. But a couple of people sent me the John Mayer clip of John Mayer being like, ah, free fonts are awful. I had some other things to say in there besides free fonts are awful. But he was basically like, you get a font from defont.com. You're going to notice there's some things wrong with it. You should buy a font. And then you're like, then you're, you won't know it in your brain, but you'll know it in your heart that it like looks good. Basically his whole argument. And there's pieces of that that you could latch on to and enjoy and pieces of that you can pick apart and critique. But that was his statement. Okay. So he was really just railing on Defont. Yeah. And I think he obviously doesn't know what open source typefaces are. I wouldn't expect him to. So. I mean, he does know Maybe. what Defont is though. So. But that's what everyone thinks free fonts are, is like defont.com. Right. And I, this is kind of in that category because like system fonts to some extent seem like free fonts, which we, mm. we learned a lot by writing about this section in the font licensing book too, about what you can and can't do with system fonts. But still, it's just kind of an extension. You know what this article is giving me a whole new look on, a whole new perspective on is charter the italic version of charter that font it's really beautiful it has a really quirky lowercase z a really mm. nice x that has some flair like the characters that do have a lot of flair i appreciate them yeah you know that i have a penchant for kind of chiseled type i just always thought that was cool and i feel like there's just like a hint of that in there yeah. And you know, it's Matthew Carter that designed this. So, you know, every little thing was considered. Which I, I don't know a ton about type history. You are the type history buff, but I certainly know of Matthew Carter. And 
just this one sentence says a lot of is designed in 87 by Matthew Carter, who would later design Georgia for Microsoft. He's done a lot. You know, he was granted the MacArthur Genius Award, which is one of the biggest. And he was just given some award by the UK that's like right below knighthood or something. Wow. Yeah. He's very much recognized as someone that's like advancing technology through his work with typography. Which I agree. I agree. So very cool. Love this. Always here for like new perspectives on the stuff that we see every day. Mm -hmm. I think that's always fun. Our next article, you dug up for us. Can you tell us a little bit about it? It's kind of related, to be honest. It's There's a very popular Linux distribution called Elementary, which I always liked because it was one of the more user-friendly Linux versions. It takes a lot of ideas from older OS 10 styling, I think. And, you know, Linux people don't get a lot of love, I feel. And so it's nice. It's nice that there is a friendly distribution out there where it's a free to use whole computer system, right? And they focus on free stuff. And I didn't realize this until I saw this blog article, but they are using Railway on the blog, hmm. which is nice to see. So they obviously appreciate open source. And then they went on to talk about their new version of the operating system and how for all of the typography, they decided to use Inter from hmm. Rasmus Anderson. Very who, cool. Yeah, we've talked about Inter before. And I remember when he published it, I chatted with him on the phone and I was very impressed because he's one of those designers who picked up making a font because he felt like it and made it open source because why not and he happened to go on to become a very well-known famous designer and so this his font became very popular and they're adopting it as their main font in the operating system wow. and uh, this is a question that i have wondered previously is why has apple or microsoft or any of those never reached out to any of the open source people and said hey, we just want to use something that already exists as the main font. I thought it was I mean, interesting that they made for OS X and iOS a proprietary custom font that you can't really use in a lot of ways when they could have reached out to an open source font designer or foundry or something and been like, hey, can we can we use one of these as a basis or something? Yeah, you got to pitch one of these big guys on that idea. Yeah, I guess. Very cool. So next up, after that, we'll get out of the mode of talking about system fonts for a bit. And you found this very beautiful article from our favorite gals over at the Alphabets, how to find your inner oh, yes. compass as a lettering artist. I really appreciated this thorough article about designing your creative life. It was written by Maria Montes, and I hope that's how I pronounce it, but she is a lettering artist that... There's some really great examples of her work scattered throughout this article, which I really appreciate. And she talks about breaking down her process of designing her creative life, her journey through different career moves she's made, and how lettering has always been a part of that. And so she takes some of her personal experiences and brings it to the readers. I think this is a great read for people that are interested in pursuing maybe a more passion project of theirs on the side of their design career and someone that wants to see that passion project grow into their full-time career. And she breaks down what steps and questions you need to ask yourself to find your inner company 
compass to lead you to where you want to be. It's definitely not specifically just applicable for lettering artists. I think it can be applicable for creatives of all sorts. She also provides a bunch of great resources that she's used to help her journey through her creative life and lots of further reading also linked at the end of this. So I just think that there's a lot of people out there that want to either be a lettering artist and don't know how to make it a full-time thing or even an illustrator and are doing it on the side and want to go full-time. And she'll give you kind of a framework to start moving towards your goals in that sense. You know what I really appreciate about this is I think there's a lot of advice out there for how to do this sort of thing in any number of niches and industries and whatever. And a lot of them are sort of like, here's what I did. And there's certainly some of that in here, which is often inspirational. But she goes beyond that and says, like, there's a section in here, number four, learn about how you work in a personal, creative, and financial way. And it's like, ask yourself a handful of questions. And some of them that stood out for me, are you an email me person or a call me person? Are you an early bird or a night owl, et cetera, et cetera. And I like that this strays away from just saying, this is what I did. Because so it's often so hard to mimic somebody else's path in life. And mm -hmm. that can lead to a lot of questioning and self-doubt if you're like, well, it worked for them. Why didn't it work for me? And this totally. is a little bit more veering into questions that you can ask yourself so that you understand what path you should go on instead of just copying how someone else did it. Yeah, I think there's just packed full of advice and inspiration. And I even know that there's a lot people that follow the league that are either in trends with their careers or trying to level up their skills. So I thought that whether or not you want to be an aspiring letter lettering artist, this could be applicable to situations that you're in. Totes. Great Super find. fun. Great find. Thanks. Thanks. Always love supporting the alphabets too. Our next article is pretty interesting. It is titled, Why Does a Design Look Good? You found this one, Micah. Yeah, and I was very excited about this. I realize I'm talking a lot this week, which is kind of fun, but this mirrored a lot of the stuff that I had put into the course that we had experimented with, gosh, a couple of years ago now, which we had called Beyond Design by Feeling. And so this is someone else's take on the same principles that I have always approached design, where design, there's a lot of science behind design. There's a lot of research that goes into why you should choose one choice over the other and why this text is readable and how people process information and the feelings that come from that processing. And this is almost like a textbook kind of thing where first they jump into typography and spacing and why aligning to a grid makes something readable. And then they have a whole other section about hierarchy and how color can affect which things you read first and which things you act on or don't. And then consistency, which is going through and understanding how things close to each other feel different than things far away from each other and how that grouping and how the spacing between those groupings can affect your perception of the thing that you're looking at. Yeah, I love that everything here there are examples of great design from across the web and everything's annotated, all the examples. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really easy to understand all the concepts they're trying to explain. And I love that Spotify example where they talk about consistency and spacing. 
I remember one of the earlier rules of design I learned is never let your inside margins be larger than your outside margins. And that's something I, I'm constantly checking myself on. But that's another rule that helps you feel like things can be unified and consistent when you're getting into more modular designs as well. That is a very interesting, I've never heard that. I mean, it makes Definitely. sense. It harks back to some of the stuff I once learned about designing the inside of a book, for example. That's a good, that's a good little tidbit. I like that. Thanks. I also love that in the typography and spacing example. They show medium as an example of great typography layout, which I can't disagree. A lot of these rules are really great for other instances, such as designing your resume, thinking about, okay, there's only text on this page. Everything needs to be readable, but look great. How are there small tricks I can use where I'm not using a display type base and not doing anything crazy and not putting things on angles, but just make things look orderly and sophisticated and legible and readable. And I think that these tips can transfer to a resume, a cover letter, any sort of documents, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I agree. I was excited for that too, because I have a project coming up that is a freelance project where the, the brief is essentially to just have text. And so it's mm. going to be a fun exercise and like going back to basics and making sure that all of these principles of basic design are on point. Very exciting. I love this kind of stuff. Yeah, nice. thanks. Our next article is from one of my favorite blogs, AIGA, Ion Design. They talk about this really interesting topic that I don't think is really discussed much. And the article is titled, Some Type Boundaries Want to Restrict Usage of Their Fonts on Ethical Grounds. Will it work? Pretty interesting. This is actually a thing that we talked about with Trey, not mm -hmm. in the interview, but in the, in the off hours between the interview. This was a thing that he was thinking about starting to adopt. I think also based on, they mentioned Grilly Type as one of the main leading people talking about this kind of thing, right? And I think that was sort of his inspiration too. Yeah, so Grilly Type, it kind of kicked this whole article off because someone realized that the CIA, their branding is in Grilly Type typeface. I don't know if that causes friction in Grilly's uh, mission and where they intend their typefaces to be, but they very much said we had no advanced knowledge of this use and no part in their redesign in any way. So I think clearly there maybe is some friction to how Grilly intends their typefaces to be used, but it starts this bigger conversation of can type foundries control who is using their typefaces? And is it enforceable? If you want to put in your end user licensing agreement, your EULA, that you don't want people to be using it for hate speech or for political campaigns or for anything that's racist or sexist, can that actually be enforced by law? And that's when things get a little tricky. And they reference a lawyer in here that talks about what actually is enforceable and the, the best ways and tactics to go about making sure that your typeface isn't used in a way that you don't want it to be used. For example, if you don't want your typeface to be used in political campaigns that you as a foundry uh, don't agree with, maybe you put a clause that says you have to be reviewing the campaign before it gets published rather than saying, I don't want this to be used in political campaigns for X, Y, and Z. So pretty interesting stuff in here. Yeah, this goes in a lot of directions too. There's actually a friend of ours from Type Thursday, Kara Gordon, who was quoted in this. And she was sort of talking about how some, I think it was Freer Jones or commercial type. There was There's a lawyer from Freer Jones, but she works at commercial type. 
Okay, okay. That's helpful. Thank you. But just how they will often, or maybe not often, but they will decline custom jobs for ethical reasons mm -hmm. if they don't agree with something. And that's a thing that I think you have to be in a certain position of of standing in the industry to be able to do that. Or that's that's a privilege that comes with being okay with saying no to jobs, essentially, right? And so that's a tough thing. And a lot of these license agreements that have things like that, they talk about there's some that have clauses in here that don't allow for racist, homophobic, transphobic, or sexist contexts. There was one that was like, you're not allowed to use this for anything that's anti-environmentalism. And that's kind of a tough spot. On the one hand, I really, I really want to back it. It's such a great stance to say, no, these are the values that I care about. And if you're going to use it for something that is against what I care about, then use something else. And I like that. And at the same time, it, it takes a certain level of privilege to be able to do that, right? Yeah. Are you talking about like privilege to put it into your EULA or the privilege to enforce it? Or I'm curious. I think, well, both. I mean, definitely both because to put it into the EULA means that at some point somebody's going to read that and maybe think you're a jerk and say, you know what, forget it. We can use some other font and you could lose business for that reason. Right. Mm -hmm. And then to enforce it takes money, lawyers, connections with lawyers yeah i mean i i have to say i i understand why people want to put in the eulas for the intention of laying down their values i think all power to you if you want to do that but even the lawyer that's interviewed in here is saying that you might run into problems where you're trying to enforce this and it's going to take a lot of money that foundries first of all don't have most foundries mm -hmm. are independent unless you're like monotype and a lawyer referencing in here who is christine Baitup, the practicing lawyer and director of business and licensing at fair jones type says there's a real problem with vagueness and ambiguity and how such provisions are drafted particularly when they target categories of expression so she was saying that you might not want your font to be used in any text opposing reproductive rights okay that might be in your eula but if hobby lobby wants to use your font to advertise a crochet knit you can't really enforce that. So it's a matter of how far are you willing to take it in your EULA and things do get complicated. I certainly think we should be talking about this though. I think that's that the creator of a font, while they own the font and they're getting licensed, they should have some control over it being used on the world, but it's a matter of how, what semantics are you using to conduct that control too? True. So just super interesting. Yeah. And in the context of, they talk about how foundries are borrowing language from other foundries too. So that's pretty interesting to see that sort of shared intent moving across countries and across foundries. Just really interesting meaty stuff in here. Licensing itself is not a super exciting topic, but it's such a fundamentally important topic that I'm just excited that there's a whole blog post about this stuff. I figured you'd be. This is definitely, you know, we've only touched on a handful of the things that, that were mentioned in this article. And so I honestly think if you were only to read one thing this week, you should go read this one. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty interesting. And it's just very future forward looking as well, considering how we're going to start moving forward with EULAs in the future. Do we think in the future we'll stop calling them EULAs? I always thought that was such an awkward 
Really? I think U.S. is better than EULAs. What's your I mean, proposed alternative? A license. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like ULAs or something. But maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's the campaign that you're going to start. Or that can be in your EULA. You may not refer to this as a EULA, only a licensing agreement. If you break this clause, I will right. go after you. I'm curious, since we're an open source foundry, could the league enforce any of this? Any sort of moralistic grounds on how people use it in their licensing? Because our fonts are open source. I mean, we could always write our own open source license. There's nothing preventing us from doing that. I've, I've considered that in the past because there are one or two things I don't love that I think are pretty ambiguous about the OFL license. And mm. I would like to rewrite it. But the answer is, I don't know, probably no, because how are we, how we going to pay for it? It's the yeah. same problem as an independent type foundry, except probably worse because independent type foundries make money from their fonts mm -hmm. to pay for lawyers. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know where our lawyer budget's coming from. Right, exactly. <laughs> okay. Curious, yeah, though. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, if I saw our fonts being used for the Nazi party, I'd be very upset. So yeah. I get it. I definitely get it. But yeah. I don't know. It's such a it's such a tough middle ground spot. But I think the direct answer is we could if we wrote our own open source license. And I think that's also a thing that nobody really ever talks about is there is one open source font license that nearly everybody uses. It doesn't have to be the only one, though. We mm -hmm. could still write a custom open source font license if we really wanted to. Learn something new every day. Right, right. Pretty wild. Yeah, just that. legal language. Just legal mumbo jumbo, you know? Legalese. Yeah. As they say. They do say that. I've heard it. I know. I've seen you write about it, but I think you've written about the licensing book. And I was like, what's legalese? Like, oh, I guess it's a thing. <laughs> anyway, this is a great article. You should definitely read it. Lots of food for thought. Now is actually kind of a cool time to take a break and say, hey, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Adobe for helping to sponsor this week's episode. Their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to like a giant library of fonts that you can install, embed, use pretty much however you like. We've even got a few of our fonts in their library as well, if you're looking for those. And uh, we are grateful for them supporting the community with us. Totally. And thanks, too, to our members. Um, if you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic emails every week. Those are cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal. Current jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, at the moment, it's only $5 a month, and we're upgrading a bunch soon. So hop in now if you want to get those goodies next week. I think it might be time, Olivia. It is time. All right. Here we are today. Nerd alert. We're talking about SVG fonts. What is an SVG font? You might ask. Well, I did some research. I got some answers for everybody. Let's uncover this mystery. And you're going to definitely want to try out this new font format after we talk today. So SVG fonts, sometimes called color fonts sometimes called open type SVG, is a new-ish type of font format where 
all or some of its components have SVGs or have other pixel-based data embedded in the font. But that all sounds very ambiguous. It's basically a font that has colors, gradients, transparencies, images embedded into the character set, but the font still functions like any other font that you have. So you type on a keyboard, you get images, you get type, you get all sorts of things. And if you want an easy image for your brain to handle this, think of emojis. We type a picture appears. There's color embedded in it. Mm. It's not just an outline. It's not just a husk of a blank shape, which is regular fonts. If we really think about it, because regular fonts aren't filled in with color, don't have any illustrative nature to it. So SVG fonts can carry lots of information. I thought they could just carry color information and, and maybe gradients, but that wasn't until I came across some new what they're called color bitmap fonts, which I think are still using the same software as OpenType SVG. That's why I'm including them here. Okay. And they can contain images. For example, Libba fonts, they do really great display typefaces. They have that ballpoint pen font. And it's that it looks exactly like how a blue ballpoint pen would look like. It literally looks so similar. And what she did is she drew out letter forms with a ballpoint pen scanned in the images, removed the background. So she scanned in PNGs and she inserted different characters into her font file in her digital font software. And when you type out, you know, hello, it literally looks like someone wrote it with a ballpoint pen. Pretty interesting. But you can also see color fonts with different colors and gradients embedded in the fonts that look like they have been highly stylized in either Photoshop or have been illustrated in some sort of way, but they're just accessible like any other font is. So you just type on your keyboard and maybe you have a font that looks like metallic birthday balloons all of a sudden because there was 3D, high-res 3D renders that were inserted into this font file. And now you can create artwork that looks incredibly custom and very polished in a way that typically don't think about with fonts. You think about with illustration or you think about with lettering. So it is expanding our ability to express all sorts of different kinds of letter forms within a font file. I guess in in my experience, what I've seen is a ton of brush painted ones where it, there's a difference in how much paint is coming off of the brush and you could see it or like yes. a marker where it kind of trails off once you are lifting up the pen. I've also seen it in kind of like block print where you get a lot of that detail of inconsistencies, which is yes. super realistic and fun and very cool and sometimes hard to do on your own. Yes, yes. I think it's taking something that we recognize in real life and bringing it to life a little bit more than we were able to do with past technology. For example, if you're doing a brush marker or something in previous font formats, you might have to fake the trailing off of a marker or a pencil by adding some sort of texture to the vector, but you're still going to have it be vector. You can't make any sort of transparency. It's pretty binary. Whatever color you fill it in with in your program is the color that brush is rendered, your fonts rendered. But with SVG fonts, you can make sure there's transparency within the font file. So you have that brush or your marker or whatever tool that maybe we use in every day looks 
really similar because you're able to show transparency within the rendering of the font, which has never been available before. I'm looking as we're talking to it, a handful of different like creative market. And I know there's a lot of these on Envato and stuff like that. And one that just came up that I hadn't seen before is rough spray. And it looks like very realistic spray paint. And it's the kind of thing where you don't realize how difficult that effect is to make. It's almost impossible to start with a vector font and add enough inconsistent transparency and grain and blotting and trailing paint and stuff like that. You end up just doing it from hand. I think it is helping people that don't have the skills in 3D rendering or don't have super special effects in Photoshop to be able to get those special effects that people used to do manually by downloading a font. And I think that's mm -hmm. pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Now, what are the, what's the catch here? Like how come the everything catch, isn't this? The catch is that first of all, these fonts are large. They are sometimes in the megabytes where most fonts are measured in kilobytes. So it can add some weight if you're trying to use them on the web, might be a little bit slow at times. I would actually say I have discovered you cannot use them on the web. The okay. technology okay. does not exist at the moment to render those details. And so a lot of these fonts have some kind of vector version with them that is without all of the fun stuff mm -hmm. and special effects. And that's the only stuff that works on the web at the moment. Good to know. I was like so excited to use a font like this for my personal website. And I was... I was so jazzed about it. I was like, this is going to look so much cooler than anything I've done because it's got these special effects built in. And I went to go use it and it just looked normal. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? And I realized there was nothing I was doing wrong. It just doesn't work. Interesting. All right. There's that. That's a catch. <laughs> there are certainly scale restrictions. I was watching the process video for Ulrich Rausch, who designed that ballpoint, blue ballpoint font that we were talking about. And there is certain scaling restrictions. So since she had pixel-based images in each slot for each character, actually there's, I believe, different font files depending on how big you want your characters to be. I didn't look into it too much, but maybe if you're designing type between five and 20 points, you have one font file. If you're designing type that's 20 points to 50 points, you have a different font file because it starts getting really big because you need higher resolution images for a larger type. Mm. And you know, the, there does come to a point where you can't make it above a certain type size with SVG fonts that have raster images in them because it ends up being pixelated. So that's also a downfall. Also, a lot of these color fonts, you can't just change the color once you download them. They come in a color. So you can't select the type and just select a color like you do for all your other fonts. You have to more manually change the color by doing Photoshop blending layers or making it vector and outlining it in Illustrator and then adjusting the colors. So it's not so straightforward in some of those scenarios. And that can be true even if it's not a color, it's still a color, right? Like if they design it exactly. so that it's black and white with transparency, you literally just can't select a color to change it. You would have to do all the all the effects you were just talking about, even though it's not designed in red. Yeah. And it's it's not hard to do that. You I mean you go into Photoshop, you add like a a layer style and there's a lot of tutorials on how to do it but I certainly wouldn't have that turn you away from doing it but maybe 
not your lay person who isn't familiar with design might have a trouble using color fonts. So you have to know maybe some, a little bit of things about design before you dive into it. But I still do think that these are very cool. I'm loving to see foundries releasing color fonts and seeing all the ways that they're taking advantage of the software. Cause I think there's an infinite amount of ways we might not even have explored yet. Did you in your research find anything about which software can handle it and which can't? Yes, I did. I didn't take extensive notes. I do know it's supported by Mac and PC and Creative Cloud and I think Figma and Sketch and some of the more popular design programs, but mm, okay. I can't tell you too much. If anybody that. knows any more details, send us info and we'll happily share that with everybody. Yeah. And if anyone has any examples of their work with 3D fonts, send it over. I want to see. I want to see them in use. I actually bought one quite a while ago and I don't know why I bought it. I forget what it was for. But it looked like it was 3D. It was like 3D renderings of metal sign type with light bulbs in it, oh, cool. like like matinee lettering, you know, oh. and it was neat because it came with all these different versions. It was very difficult to figure out how to use. It was kind of my first experience with these. So I it was a mess, but it came with all these different versions like you were talking about different versions for different sizes. This was different versions for different light bulb combinations which light bulbs you wanted on and which ones you didn't and how rusty you wanted the metal behind the light bulbs and i was like this is wild that's crazy I, i've been seeing some pretty insane fonts out there that i didn't even know existed i saw a similar one where it's like metal it looked like 3d metal neon type and they had neon bulbs inside but everything was shaded was different shades of yellow or something so it's really mm. easy to change the colors and make different colored neon depending on what you want to do with it but crazy technology well shoot that's that's it that's what we got that's, that's a fun that's introduction to svg fonts and color fonts yeah I know. I'm like, do I call them SVG fonts? Do I call them color fonts? I thought it was literally you could only put an SVG in a character and it had to do with that. But I think it really more has to do with the name of the new file formats, open type SVG. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, but you learn something new every day. Especially on Fridays when our podcast comes out. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Very exciting. Micah, before we leave, I want to tell you something fun. Oh. Just like a fun little tidbit. I started listening to an audiobook, and it's a fictional novel, and the main character is a graphic designer. And it's just so strange to have a main character in a book talk about fonts and serifs and typefaces and use the correct lingo of the design world. It's been jarring. You said this was a fiction book? Yeah, it's called Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore. Oh. I've also heard there might be references to Gutenberg coming up. Is that why you picked this book up? I've heard I've heard in the past it has relations to more broad typographic history like Gutenberg and stuff like that. I haven't gone there yet, but fascinating. You know. This guy works in this 24-hour bookstore in San Francisco, and the world is so filled with Silicon Valley people and he finds this 24-hour bookstore that's like full of antique books and there's all these weird characters that come in in the middle of the night and rent out these books and they're all coded and we haven't figured out the code yet so hmm. interesting so yeah fun. you got to keep us updated I will I will no one spoil it for me all right, all right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us on yet another fun weekly typographic thanks for all your darn research on SVG fonts Olivia you're welcome. Thanks for all the great links that you found this week, Micah. You're welcome. We'll, we'll be back next week with even more fun links and things to chat about. <laughs> do, 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 do.
I always forget that. So that's perfect. It actually makes a pretty good transition into the closing song. It's just seamless. So seamless. <laughs> 